0: As humans, we often struggle with context when it comes to our faith and regularly fail to apply the Word of God in our daily lives. Veritas podcast is a weekly Bible study led by Rev. C.B. Samuel and through it, we try to understand and locate the roles we are called to play in the world we live in by delving into the teachings of the Holy Bible. We welcome you to join us in learning more from the Word of God and in learning how to live out meaningful lives as Christians. You come to the last part of our study in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40 to 66. It's been a great experience. This is the tenth of our studies. And the main intention was to find out what is that message of hope that Isaiah was talking about. Because when we read the book of Isaiah, we know clearly that. The purpose of Isaiah, especially the last section, was to help the people of Israel to hope for God to act. And it's a call to hope. And in the context in which we live today, I think this, would have, this is the most appropriate section, or in fact, one of the most appropriate sections, I must correct myself, when it talks about hope. But as we've seen, Isaiah's main call is to hope in God and to make a choice against the many merchants of hope. This is the time when we have a lot of initiatives of hope. Yes, on the one hand, there are people who are critical, but on the other hand, there are many people who promise And many times, their promises are false. And the people of Israel had been misled many times, in fact, to stray away from God, because they went after things they thought would actually provide for them the kind of dream they were looking for. So Isaiah's main focus was not simply telling the people that there is hope, but asking them to make a choice. And when you make the choice, it's very important to recognize that God asks you to get your house in order, because one of the biggest hindrances in the case of Israel, and in the case of everyone, is that they could not become instruments of hope, which God had originally envisaged when he told Abraham, your children will become a nation, and the nation would be the blessing of all the nations. It never could happen, because Israel itself humbled. And so God takes a lot of pain to, through the prophet Isaiah, to tell Israel to get their act together. Because what they actually hoped for was contrary to what they were at present living in, or the lifestyle they had. And very important for us, while we hope for the world to be a better place, There's nothing to stop us from being that better person who feels comfortable in that better place. And I'm not saying we should become perfect before we start desiring for hope, desiring for things to change. But we can't allow contradictions in our own life. And Isaiah was very clear, emphasizing that God works out his hope through instruments which if you remember we saw God called them the servant and that is what we noticed right at the beginning uh, in this particular section where God was constantly telling Israel that he was going to raise up servants first the nation Israel itself as a community and then you know, people who were outside the scope of the people of God, but God used them. And then, of course, the central piece is the Messiah himself, the servant who would establish God's new world. And you and I, as the community of the Messiah, are also seen as servants, the community that would be part of God's great program of hope. So having said that, I want to look at chapters 60 to 66. It's a long section, so I'm going to hurry through it. But many of the things I have said earlier are also part of this particular section. Because in this particular section, there are, as usual, God giving to us many images of hope. Walter Brueggemann wrote a book entitled the prophetic imagination. And I think it's a great book when it comes to the way Brueggemann explains how the prophets imagined or expressed their hope in imaginations. And that's very true. But I have a problem with the title because I don't think it has to do with the prophetic imagination. I believe the prophets were communicating They were communicating that prophetic, what I would call a prophetic communication of the divine imagination. Because it is the very character of God that he communicates with images. And the prophets are full of them. But every time it is, almost every time, it is the Lord saying it. I suppose it makes sense because of all the creations of God, humans are the only ones who use imagination. At least that's what we know. And perhaps that is because we are created in the image of God. And not to be a people who can Im- use imagination is a problem. And unfortunately, it is the people of God who are very much in dirt of the capacity to imagine and uh, I perhaps think it is the way that our faith has developed over the years, institutionalization of it, our method of education is no help because we are good in reporting images of the past, analyzing, interpreting it with no capacity to imagine the future. But it's good to read through the prophets as many times as possible because we begin to realize that when God communicates about the future, it's full of imaginations, images. And almost all the prophets have it. And Isaiah is no exception. He expresses it in such powerful language of images of hope. And I want to look at a few things in this particular section as we close the study. We've done 10 studies, this is the 10th study on chapter 40 to 66, the second part of this brilliant book. And I hope you will find time to read it in detail. It's one of those great books. And in fact, people say that Isaiah was the one book which Jesus quoted more often. And not only Jesus quoted, to understand Jesus, we need to read the book of Isaiah. And I totally agree with that. Because the concept of Jesus or the title Messiah is totally meaningless if we don't understand the Messiah in the book of Isaiah. But let me come back to chapter 60. It begins with the verse, arise, shine for your life has come, the glory of the Lord rises upon you. That's a good point to start and to pause, to think, because no hope is possible without understanding the place of God in it. Because it's become fashionable today for even the children of God to desire the kingdom of God without the presence of the king. We have a problem, isn't it? Because it's easy to desire justice and compassion and inclusion, but to have the king present in it is a problem because the king is a king with character. And nobody can enter into his presence, as it says, without clean hands and pure heart. And so what do we do? We like a new kingdom in which we displace the king himself. And isn't that where we have landed up now? Because we like to be kings, deciding that we want a kingdom of God without the king himself. But Isaiah doesn't make any such luxuries for us possible. He starts off by saying, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. So see, darkness covers this earth, and thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. The Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. To desire a better world without God himself acting is a total contradiction to what the Bible says. Because we're saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. But prior to that, we recognize our Father who is in heaven. Holy be your name. And I think it is very important for us to recognize this. That all hope flows out of that God who is the light. And he says, "The Lord rises upon you, because we live in a world, as it says, the darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people. You know, there is a darkness that cannot be dispelled or cannot be thrown out, with little lamps right shining here and there. Yes. We are a little lamb as we sometimes believe. But remember, this darkness that is around us can be only thrown out when the God who said, let there be light, actually speaks into that situation. And so to desire that God to act is a very important part. Not only to act, but to be present. And it says, the Lord will rise up and his glorious glory appears over you. And what happens when the glory appears over us, especially the people of God? It says in verse 3, Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Yes, we are called to be the light of the world, but we are not the light. We are only light as long as we reflect the light and we internalize the light within us. And when we do that, what will happen is, it says here, nations will recognize. And we become that community of hope. Nations will come to us and our kings to the brightness of your dawn. The problem today is that the nations and the kings are totally confused and have no place to go to. And the church, the people of God, are the last place that they would come to because we have only enjoyed talking about God without allowing God to be present in our lives. And he says when this happens, a lot of things fall in place. It says when God acts and God is put back in the center, that community of God's people become a very important instrument of hope. And God begins to act in their midst. And as God begins to act in their midst... There is a recognition around us that we, who are the people of God, have a message for the world. We have spent a lot of time grumbling about the world, but we have no reason because we have not been the people of God. So Isaiah says, when that happens, things will fall in place in your life and you will experience that fullness which is communicated in verse 4 onwards in powerful, powerful imageries of restoration of life and not just human life. Land will flourish. Creation will flourish. And it says that once again that community of God's people who allow God to rule in their midst, who allow God's light to be over them, will become a light. I think it's very important for us. The imagery of hope is not only that in which God is central, God is the source of that hope, but there is a community of hope that also is a very important part of hope. Because we begin to show the world that God is working in our midst. And when that happens, not only is restoration of life taking place, there is also a corrective of the past. Listen to what he says here in verse 10 Foreigners will rebuild your walls, their kings will serve you. Because these are the ones who actually were destructive. He says in verse 12 For the nations of the kingdom that will not serve you will punish, it will be utterly ruined. It says, the people may bring you the wealth of the nations, their kings led in triumphal processions. There is a corrective of what was done because these are the ones who actually caused the destruction of the people of Israel. And so it says in verse 14, the children of your oppressors will come bowing before you and all who despise you will bow down at your feet. And they will call you the city of the Lord. That is a corrective. You know, many times when we're talking about the new hope and we're looking forward to it, we believe that God will wipe away every tear and, you know, the oppressed will once again be able to stand on their feet. There would be liberation. But what about those who cost the pain What about those who are the wicked? It says they will be brought into a place where they will serve those who they oppressed. There is a correction of the past. And very important for us. They're not going to get away with what they did. They will serve. And that's my prayer. My prayer is that justice would be done in not just that there would be a liberation of those who are oppressed, but there would be a setting right, especially about those who are the oppressors. And that's what it says here. The children of your oppressors will come down and bow down before you. There would be a recognition of their oppression. Let me move on. And not just that. God says when God restores this community back, he will bring... (coughs) It says in verse 17, I will make peace your governor and well-being your ruler. In other places it says, I'll make peace and justice the character of your leaders. How beautiful, isn't it? When God restores in his new kingdom, it's very important to understand that God puts in place leaders who will bring peace and justice. We look forward to that. Our expectation is not just that the world will be a just place, but we will have leaders who are just. Not just that the world will be a peaceful place, but there will be leaders who will be proactively, passionately committed to peace. And then he says, no longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin nor destruction within your borders. Because he said, you've experienced that violence. And when God restores, you know, the community of faith will be a community in which there will be no more violence. And your wall will be called salvation. And your gates praise. There is security in your midst and there is celebration because it says in verse 19 the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory that is very important for us as we think about hope to know there's no hope possible without the centrality of God and not only in the centrality of God hope is translated specifically into concrete restoration in the people of God. Very important again in chapter 61 is the place of the Holy Spirit, the passage that Jesus used when he came into Nazareth, when he said, The Spirit of, of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor. A very strong understanding that he as the instrument of hope was actually an instrument of the spirit. Without that spirit, there is no way in which God would work to bring that hope. Because many times we feel that we are here as instruments of hope because of our capacities. But that is not what the Bible says. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I think it's good for us, as we desire to be instruments of hope, to begin to ask ourselves, to what extent are we directed by the Holy Spirit? Because it is the Spirit who puts into place the plan of God. And when the Spirit does it, it says in verse 3, you know, the images change. It says... You know, when the spirit is upon us to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, they will be called the oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. A spirit-filled movement is a movement in which there is a celebration and a display of the splendor of God. And when that happens, it says, it says in verse 6, You will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You, know, you will be seen as those who are the instruments of God. Because this is where God works. This is the way God works. And so we celebrate the fact that God uses in the midst of his message of hope Is the restoration of the community of hope to be what God wants it to be. And in this community, in chapter 62, it says there are certain things that God is setting right because it says here in verse 4, no longer will they call you deserted or name name your land desolate. You will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. What does it mean? Because at one time they were considered as deserted and desolate. But in that restoration, God is going to change that identity. And a very important observation here is that this community that God uses is a community in the margins. Because somehow we have thought today that the community of hope brings in some expertise. No, it is not like that. Because sometimes it's possible for all of us to think we have certain expertise, our academic qualification, our ability to talk or not to talk or to analyze, to be critical. And we think we are instruments of hope because of that. You got it wrong. That's why the Apostle Paul says, how many of you are scholars? How many of you are philosophers? God has chosen the ordinary things of the world. The community of people who were considered desolate, who were considered desolate, discarded, considered deserted. But you will be called Hepsiba, the delight of God. Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you. What a lovely thing, isn't it? To be a community of hope, we have to become the instruments of the delight of God. I don't know how much you celebrate that fact that you are a delight of God for the delight of god and so in chapter 62 basically god talks about this particular place of this community which has been rejected deserted god restores them sets right things of the past ensures that justice is done gives them rulers who will rule with peace and justice And the middle of all that message of hope is this chapter 64, where the Prophet would say, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. The mountain would tremble before you, as when the fire sets a blaze, twigs a blaze, come down to make your name known. What's happening? Because it is impossible to desire hope without being passionately committed to praying for that hope to happen. You see, because your desire for hope, your desire for that hope that God talked about, while you're waiting, will be reflected in your passionate prayer. If that is not seen in your passionate prayer, your hope is empty hope. Because hope drives us to your knees to intercede and say, God, when will it happen? When will it come? Come down to make your name known to your enemies. Cause the nations to quake. And God says he will do it. And he will do it. And that is very important to understand. Hope is not sitting in the waiting room and singing songs. But hope is that where you move into your chamber and intercede to God. Otherwise, what we are talking about is not what we are talking about in the Bible as hope. And then finally, in chapter 65, verse 16 onwards, 17 onwards, the same language of hope with more images. And he says here, see, I will create new heaven and new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. He says, I'm going to go do something totally new. It's not a return to the past but a step into the future. That's what hope is all about. Hope is not to go back to those great days of the, you know, pre-COVID days. No, that's not going to happen. We're going into a new future. And he says a new future has got certain characteristics, isn't it? We've seen so many of them. He said, I'll create Jerusalem to be delight and its people a joy. In this new future, the community of God, which is willing for God to reign, is going to to become the delight of the people. And the sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. There will be no more sorrow. And then he says, a child will live. Never again there will be a child who will live for a few days. There will be good health. And then it says in verse 21, they'll build houses and stay in it. There'll be security. People will enjoy. It says in 20, 23, they will not labor in vain. They will enjoy the benefit of their work. They will be blessed by God. And then in verse 24, before I call, I will answer them. While they're still speaking, I will hear. And finally in verse 25, there will be reconciliation. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. You see, when God works, this is a creation, this is a new creation. We hope for that to happen. But meanwhile, we become that community of people who are engaged, who demonstrate, who understand, who put God back in the middle of what is happening. Where is that middle? God says in chapter 66. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things so they came into being? He says, yeah, you know, you can't build anything for me. And I'm going to act. But where will I dwell? He says in verse 2, the second part. These are the ones I look on favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Later on it says, they have chosen, the, you know, it says God is going to do this and God is going to work located among those who are humble and contrite in spirit who tremble at the word of God. this is the God that we have so when we talk about hope let me conclude we're talking about a God who you can definitely count on who is going to make hope what we hope for happen but he has given us to us very clear instruction of how that hope would look like but what we can do is to ensure that we don't forget the king of the kingdom of God not only in our personal lives, but in our demonstration of hope, in our proclamation of hope, because there's a tendency to come together with all of us, all people who are on the same page of their desire for hope, and to be silent about the place of God. I'm not saying you should go around talking about God, but what I'm saying is that It's important to say that without the place of God being restored, there is no hope because the darkness around us will not go away naturally unless God works. So may God help us as we continue to look at this brilliant section in Isaiah, chapter 40 to 66. Take time to read it. And this is our last study on the series. And uh, I hope we will meet again sometime in the near future. May God bless you. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this great text that you kept for us. God, you are a God of hope. Yes, we have seen that you are a God who has been grieved by the kind of life that the people lived. But despite of that, oh God, you are a God of mercy. You're a God who makes promises and keeps promises. And because you're a covenant-making God, you acted. And you still act in human life because it's not your desire that all of none of us should perish. But we know, God, that we make choices. Choices which have taken us away from you. But today I pray, O oh God, that you will enable us to be that community of hope ensuring that you are in the center of all hope conversations that we have in this world. Because we know that the darkness that is around us will not be displaced or destroyed with our activity. It's deep-rooted, God. We see it in the wickedness that is around us. And our only hope is for you to shine on us, for the glory of God to appear, And I pray that we would be faithful as your people wherever we are, O God. To be not trusting on our own wisdom and our strength, but to be a people in whom the Holy Spirit would work so that we become the model of that restoration. So that the nations would be attracted to come towards you through the life that they see in us. And I pray this for each one of us. Keep us as instruments of hope, O God. And I thank you and pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking time out and being a part of this Bible study. Veritas Podcast is a podcast run by students and we upload every week on Wednesdays. If you find our content engaging and wish to know more, kindly subscribe to our podcast channel. Thank you for listening and we hope that you are blessed by this initiative.